Whatever happens, we'll always remember our silver wedding anniversary. Hello, my name is Will, and you've made the life-changing choice to listen to Exploding Helicopter, the world's only podcast celebrating the good, the bad, and the unconvincing way helicopters explode in film. On the morning of June 14, 1985, TWA Flight 847 was hijacked by members of Hezbollah and Islamic Jihad. The terrorists threatened to kill everyone on board unless 700 prisoners held in Israeli jails were released. The hostage crisis that followed lasted 17 days before the passengers and crew were eventually released, but not before the terrorists murdered an American Navy diver who'd been travelling on the flight. Never slow to exploit the chance to cash in on a fashion, fad, or in this case terrorist outrage, the hucksters at Canon Films rushed a fictionalised version of events into production. And just eight months after the hijacking, the film we're looking at on this show, The Delta Force, exploded into cinemas. So as we're talking about a film where people are forced to act against their will, it's rather appropriate that my guest today is a man I regularly have to blackmail into appearing on this show. With me once again, under pain of death, is my good friend Dara. How you doing, buddy? Hello, everybody. Yes, I've been allowed out of my jail cell specifically for this podcast. Please send funds for my release. I, I, I've got to get out of here. <laughs> what our listeners can't see is I've currently got a gun to your head to uh, ensure your participation through the very bitter end of this uh, of this show. This is life imitating art right here. But uh, this show is a, a pretty special episode. It's actually our 50th exploding helicopter show. So, Dara, you know, I wondered what you made of us reaching this incredible landmark. I can't believe I've been around so long. <laughs> it's really kind of the first thoughts that are coming into my head. 50 podcasts is quite, you know, it's a lot of time and a lot of effort. I hope people out there have enjoyed it. As I say, let's be honest. Let's let's kind of break the fourth wall. Will is the, is the main force. <laughs> to, he does so much work to put these things together. I just rock up, glass of wine in hand, a few notes, and, you know, just to... I suppose that the talent, you know, doesn't have to work as hard as the kind of, you know, the engine room. That's fair, fair to say, I suppose. I'm beginning to, uh, I'm beginning to regret ever getting you involved in, uh, involved in this. But uh, most people, I guess, would have assumed that this, this show would have died a natural death by now. So I'm, I, you know, I'm really sorry that uh, two years and uh, 50 shows later, I have to keep coming back to you. It's amazing if you think about it. When this whole thing was created, this <laughs> crazy idea, late night, probably after a few pints, the idea to come ahead with this, Will, that we'll be doing this this long, you know, into the future. And there's still films to do. And this is something that could potentially run and run or until I, I get that release from, from jail. <laughs> you may wish for a way out of this uh, this particular Hostage An easy crisis. death, yeah, smooth but, death. Uh, I, you know, I'm I'm of the cruel and sadistic school of villainy, so I'm going to be drawing out this uh, this your slow death for uh, for a good while. But uh, oh, okay, all right then, okay, fine. That's the way it's going to be. But because this is our 50th show, I thought I'd choose uh, an important film in the exploding helicopter cannon, and uh, I think I've done that with Delta Force because this film gets to its exploding helicopter quicker than any other movie so uh yeah did you uh did you think i picked a good one i i actually laughed i i <laughs> lolled i actually lolled because that first frame is just an ex- helicopter on the ground exploding i'm like what the what the hell is going on here this is this is if for uh, exploding helicopter fans this is probably you know this is this is the money shot right at the beginning and it's it's a cigarette all, all the way through the next two hours <laughs> 
Well, I don't think we should uh, tease our listeners any longer. I think it's time to greenlight our mission to review the Delta Force. But before we do that, let's listen to Trailer Man give us a testosterone-fueled introduction to the film. It's a new age of terror that requires a new breed of warrior. One minute to showtime. We're members of Delta Force and we're here to take you home. America's elite anti-terrorist commandos committed to destroy the enemies of freedom because the stakes are more than pride. Sleep tight, sucker. More than honor. Move it, move it. More than justice. American, I want to negotiate. Do you hear me, American? Loud and clear. Because they're fighting to save American lives. The Delta Force. Starring Chuck Norris and Lee Marvin, America's new heroes, the Delta Force. The Delta Force was released in 1986. It stars Chuck Norris as Major Scott McCoy, an ex-Special Forces soldier who'd quit the army in disgust after pencil-pushing Washington bureaucrats fouled up one of his missions. Years later, Chuck is called back into action when Arab terrorists hijack a jumbo jet carrying American citizens. The hostage situation escalates when a number of the passengers are taken off the plane and become prisoners at the terrorist's secret compound. With no hope of resolving the situation peacefully, Norris and his men are ordered to storm the plane and the terrorists hide out to free the hostages. The Delta Force has a rather star-studded cast, so alongside Chuck Norris we have Lee Marvin and Robert Vaughan as members of the American military. And we also have no fewer than three Oscar winners among the hostages on the plane, Shelley Winters, Martin Balsam and the great George Kennedy. While as the main terrorist, Abdul, we have the decidedly non-Arabic Robert Forster. <laughs> the film was directed by none other than Menahem Golan, the legendary boss of Canon Films. The Delta Force has a 5.6 rating on IMDb. Uh, audiences rate it as 59% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, some of the reviews for this movie, Roger Ebert uh, gave the film a positive review, describing it as taut and exciting. <laughs> did while... he? He did. Wow. He did indeed. Uh, okay. um, while Vincent Canby at the New York Times called it wildly fanciful chauvinist fiction. <laughs> so, uh, Dara, was it taut and exciting or was it chauvinist fiction? Oh, these reviews are fantastic. You know what? 59% is pretty much got it on the money for me because there's a, a lot to kind of be enjoyed in the film, but there's a lot of ridiculousness. This is not, <laughs> this is a very 80s film. It kind of tapped into the zeitgeist of that mid 80s paranoia about Russia, communism, terrorists, all the bad guys attacking the US, kind of following in the, it's, it's basically, a, a, I would say, a poor man's Rambo. This is uh, obviously Rambo acted alone. You've got the Delta Force, but it's pretty much one man. It's Chuck Norris doing what Chuck Norris does, smashing up the bad guys. It was just a funny one because on initial viewing, I was kind of like, oh, this is, not, this is OK. It's a bit ludicrous. But the more I've kind of looked into it, the attention to detail that the scriptwriters have done with the, with the plot lines. And I was quite surprised that this is obviously based on the real hijacking of the TWA flight in 1985. And they have got so many details down to the exact copied exactly from the events 
Because you look at the film, you think this is mm-hmm. ludicrous. How can you know? How can this happen? How can that happen? A lot of these things, a lot of these things actually happen for real life. Exactly, and that was my experience of watching the film as well. Because there's these, as you say, sort of rather ludicrous moments during the film, and then you find out actually that's what happened in real life. So. At the beginning of the film, you see the plane being hijacked by two terrorists. It then lands in Algiers, I think it is, where Mm -hmm. additional terrorists then come on board. And, you know, I remember watching uh, that sequence and just thinking, this is ridiculous. How on earth? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But that actually happened. Yeah, like a cleaner comes into the, pretends that he's he's fixing the, the toilet toilet window or something brings in a couple of hand grenades and guns and just puts them in the waste disposal uh, area or where the where the handkerchiefs are and just walks out again yeah and say yeah that's fine your toilet's fixed or you travel to another airport and there's no security perimeter around the fence and people just bundle onto the plane whenever they want and nobody stops them but this actually this is what it was like in, to travel in the 80s you know people who moan about putting their belts in a in the metal detectors and taking their shoes off have a think for a second about what it used to be like but uh, going back to the film sort of overall, I mean, it's I mean, I, I enjoyed it, but it is a, it's an odd beast of a film, I think, because it's it's part men on a mission movie. It's part sort of the dirty dozen, but it's also part airplane disaster movie. And uh, I, was, <laughs> I was very much reminded of uh, the uh, airport franchise of films. And, Absolutely. Uh, Especially yeah. when, like, when, because um, uh, uh, what's his name? Oh, what's his George, name? George Kennedy. George Kennedy's in it. So George Kennedy's in this. And jo- is George Kennedy in Airplane 2? He's, in, he in, the first he's in all of the uh, airport uh, movies. Yeah, so like, they're on there. And there's a bunch of nuns on there, just like there is in, <laughs> in Airplane. I was expecting one of them to start speaking jive to one of the other... <laughs> one of the other passengers it is as i thought it was a bit of a joke at the beginning but um yeah i think there's only probably so many ways that you can format a scene in the inside a plane and obviously the sort of template is airplane because we've seen that so many times so it does it does kind of it does ape that quite a lot it's quite uh, you don't know wh- which way the film's going to go when you see those scenes so as you uh, have mentioned, uh, you know, terrorists were one of the, uh, well, I guess they're still a staple of movie bad guy, movie bad guy even today. But the terrorists in this movie, what did you think of uh, their portrayal? Well, it's the, you, it's the, I suppose it's hard to, you know, it'd be quite, this is controversial, but it'd be quite good to see a sympathetic film about terrorism. <laughs> because obviously terrorists are just the bad guys, are evil incarnate, but you have to think that there's motivation for why certain people do certain things. Obviously, in the West, we see it in one way. Obviously, you can never condone killing people. You can never condone, you know, breaking the law, those kind of things. But some of these people are very, very desperate. I mean, without getting to too much into the politics of Hezbollah circa 1980, you know, there's a, there was a lot of, uh, you know, you could argue there was a lot of Israeli action towards and US action towards their communities and they felt that they had no voice and this was a way that they could you know there was kind of a it was the thing to hijack planes to get your voice heard back in the 80s when it was easy to do so a lot of people thought that this was you know a platform to air their grievances so obviously you don't see any of that in this film it's not that sort of film but the terrorists are presenting the typical 80s you know sweaty furtive looks they are very sweaty they're very sweaty they're amongst the sweatiest villains i've ever seen very very poor poor aircon in those two flights (laughs) in the 80s you know all beardy usual the usual sort of stuff i mean the in the real story 
apparently, because I was reading a Time article today about it, that in the initial um, capture of the plane, there was only two people versus 150 passengers. And uh, one of the terrorists was very, very angry, hitting people over the head with guns, a, a complete lunatic. But the other one was very calm and was actually quite nice to the passengers. I think there's like one scene in this one where one of the terrorists at the beginning actually gives a, a doll to the a young child and remembers well, yeah, how he had a six-year-old. I mean, year old. there's another moment like that in the film, and I don't think the film does a particularly good job of, of, of communicating a message at that particular moment because the, uh, the terrorist who um, has the big bushy beard and has the yeah. uh, has the who's uber sweaty and uh, boggle eyed he's uh, not robert forster i don't know who the, uh, the, the other actor's one, name. Yeah. The, the other one is he um he pistol whips two stewardesses and then a little bit later he um helps a pregnant lady yeah now, it's bonkers isn't it it's bonkers. out of character now if you had if you had one character helping the pregnant lady and then the other character being ultra violent then it would make sense that makes sense, uh, exactly. as, and, you know and speaks to that point that you were just making but here they just give all of that to that one character and it just makes him seem really schizophrenic so you're just thinking well one minute they're making him a villain, the next minute they're trying to humanise him. So what on earth are they trying to say? Let's be honest. I think I don't know whether this is a, it's not one of those films that had lots of drama. I think it was, as you quite clearly mentioned at the beginning, it was kind of a almost like a rushed film. They did really well in the time they had to sort of get everything together. But obviously, then these are sort of things that make a film. These little details, character arcs or, you know, like motivations and stuff. This is a canon film. I'm, I, I have less experience at these than you will. I think this is probably your your uh, kind of area of expertise. But I get the feeling that they're not too keen on those kind of things. It's more about explosions and, you know, shooting the bad guys. And if that's, the, that's what they're really going for. Yeah, they, uh, I think it's fair to say that uh, canon movies are are not as interested in the craft of, of filmmaking or the craft mm. of storytelling as they are in putting blood, guns, violence and sex in your face on the screen. Yeah. So I think that's that's their primary uh, interest here. But uh, Dara, I know, you know, you're... Uh, you're quite partial to uh, a loud shirt and, uh, you know, <laughs> some, uh, you know, eye-catching fashions. Uh, I was particularly taken by the uh, Tony Montana-style oh. outfit that uh, Robert Forster was wearing in this movie. It was fantastic. So for, for anyone who's not seen this film, uh, Robert Forster rocks up at the airport wearing, I think, something out of, like, yeah, cross between Tony Montana and um, Saturday Night Fever. with a white... <laughs> A pure white suit with a red shirt, massive mirrored shades. If he, if that person walked into your airport, you'd think terrorist for sure. He had terrorists written all over him, such was his ridiculous clothing. Terrorist uh, or yeah. nightclub, I think that would yeah, be... You know. Shady character, let's say. Uh, whether the the real terrorist uh, dressed like that, who's to say? But they did use. Uh, there was a. There's a. I, I don't know how much they got into that, but there was a. There's a really good shot which I've seen on Google Images of the hijacker with a gun to mm. the head of the pilot as he's speaking to press as yes. they touch down. I think it's in Algiers or one or Lebanon for the second time, and it's it's literally identical. So they have taken some time to look in, you know, mirror the real life story. I don't know whether the sartorial choices are quite the same as well. <laughs> well, let's have 
Well, let's have a quick look at the uh, passengers on board this film. And it's a very eclectic mix of passengers here. So we've got nuns, we've got a Catholic priest, there's a pregnant lady, there's the obligatory small child. Uh, there's a, even a couple of Holocaust uh, survivors here. And yes. uh, it's a real uh, disaster movie cross-section of uh, passengers. Yeah, they've got, um, obviously, you, I think you mentioned Shelley Winters, who uh, a lot mm. of people will be familiar with. So she's one of the Jewish passengers on the plane. And one of the big things that happened in the real story is that the hijackers actually asked for all the passports of the passengers to be given to them so they could look through. And one of the um, stewardesses was supposed to go through them and pick out all the passengers with Jewish names. Because obviously mm. it's very well planned hijacking. And what they planned to do was to take all the Jewish or what, who they deem to be Jewish prisoners away and have them as almost like a siege within a siege and have them hold up as prisoners separately to the, so they took them off the plane and they took, uh, they had them imprisoned in a, in a prison in Lebanon. Um, so that was part of the, so Shirley Winters is one of the Jewish passengers, but this is an Israeli funded film and the kind of Holocaust Jewish element is is writ very heavy, especially in the opening scenes. Um, I don't, is the director actually Israeli? He is, yes. Okay, and it's funded in Israel. So there's obviously they've got an angle which they want to look at this film, and ultimately is about terrorists. So I completely get the logic. It does really smack you in the face, but then, like you, doing the research into the events that inspired this film, you you sort of find out what that actually that actually happened and i remember when i was watching the film i was thinking they're really troweling this on a bit yeah exactly but it's is it did happen it did happen so you sort of to sort of um you know maybe it could have been well to be honest maybe the film the whole film could have been presented in a slightly different (laughs) (laughs) in a slightly different way it's not subtle filmmaking that we're we're talking about here but uh yeah there are there's sort of uh, it is interesting to to be aware of the, the events that inspired this film because it does change how you view some of the things that you're uh that you're watching Exactly. I mean, some of the stuff is so ridiculous. You think this can't have happened. Then when you actually look at you actually read the story, some of these things did happen. And it almost seems like a a different world to the world we live in Mm. today. Going back to your the actors in the as passengers, obviously quite I quite enjoy George Kennedy in it. He's always he's a very kind of charismatic actor. Oh, yeah. And he, he plays the part of an Irish priest who isn't Jewish, but to back up the people that have been taken away to be uh, imprisoned or, or tortured. He, he doesn't know at this stage. He basically kind of says, you know, if I if they have to go, I'll go as well. As a, you know, a man of God, he's kind of doing the, mm. the virtuous thing. I quite liked his performance. He, does, he doesn't have a lot of um, airtime, but he, he, you know, I quite like his performance in it. He's, he's, a, he's a solid, solid character. Uh, well, the thing that really struck me about this this film was that it has no fewer than four Oscar winners in it. So you've got Lee Marvin, who won an Oscar for Cat Ballou. You've got George Kennedy. You've got Shelley Winters, who actually won two Oscars, and Martin Balsam. And, I, you know, I was just thinking, blimey, you know, when, when you uh, hear about a film having four Oscar winning actors in it, I guess you have certain assumptions about the quality of the film that you're probably <laughs> going to be watching. And, you know, I, I wondered if there surely can be no other film of the Delta Forces ilk, which <laughs> uh, which features uh, four Oscar winners. That's a very good point, actually, Will. I didn't. Th- I mean, these are. You, I think the budget was reasonably high, but um, you wouldn't expect a massive budget for this sort of film. And obviously, these are actors whose their career is kind of on the downslope, oh, even yeah. though they are good actors they don't really they don't really have a lot to get their teeth into it's not that sort of film yeah you're quite right i mean I, it is for that sort of film these high you know caliber of actors you are surprised to see them in there 
Let's move on to uh, to talk about the uh, the stars of this film, I guess the uh, the Delta Force themselves, and they're meant to be the heroes of this of this film. They're meant to be this elite uh, special force unit brought in to uh, to kick the terrorists' butt. But I was rather bemused by quite a lot of their portrayal in this movie because they really do you know rack up quite a lot of quite a few bungling moments. I don't know what you thought. Well, at, at one point at the begin, right at the beginning, um, where we see the helicopter blowing up, is um, I know we mentioned, but it's alluding to sort of a bungled raid, uh, you know, five years before, and it's the sort of bungled raid that Chuck's had enough of. He's had enough of the politicians making silly decisions and getting them into trouble, so he retires. But there's a helicopter basically that's just about to blow up, and it's in the middle of a desert, and all the you know, Delta Force people are just running by it saying, oh, no, it's about to blow up in a minute. We can't can't get that guy out. Impossible. So all Chuck does is just go in there, lift lift the thing up, get the guy out in like literally 30 seconds. You think if these are the what's the whole what's the whole thing about not leaving any of mm. your men behind? They just buzz off back to the plane and say, oh, we, you know, it's about to explode. Don't go in there. You know, that's quite poor. You do see scenes where they there's one particular scene where I think they're in an, a sewer event and they come they, the, the idea they got plans to go through the sewer through the sea in scuba diving gear and then pop up in the compound inside the prison to rescue the prisoners and literally they just pop their heads they just move the manhole cover pop their heads up without you know without a telescopic camera or anything <laughs> just to check who's there you know there's 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 terrorists who sort of about within five meters luckily they're obviously they always portray these terrorists who are doing their night round they're just asking about they're half asleep or they're having a cigarette no never never paying attention so they obviously don't see them pop out and, you know, about mm. 50 of them just come out of this manhole cover and no one seems to, you know, know that they're, they're... Yeah, they're not they're not great, are they? They're not the elite. They're, they're certainly not. And I think for me, the, the one moment that I just thought was just the most spectacular botch job was uh, where they, sort of about a third of the way through the film, they the Delta Force go to... Uh, storm the plane and uh, free the hostages and just in just before this happens uh, one of the hostages has actually been freed from the plane you know so Lee Marvin orders the go-ahead of this raid and then thinks oh you know what maybe it's maybe I'll have a quick chat with that passenger who just came off and just see you know what the situation oh, yeah, on the well, plane exactly. is how many terrorists there are <laughs> and you know he uh, as this raid is going ahead he has starts having a chat with her and discovers that uh, sort of like an additional dozen terrorists have come have sneaked on board the plane and that rather than two of them there's now about 14 of them and yeah. uh, he has to then sort of race down the runway to call off the raid and I just thought you know how, that... much, how much intelligence has gone into this particular you know Oh, what, what, how do you base your two person? We base it on a calculated guess. Okay, that's fine. We'll go in there anyway. Yes, yeah, completely. I guess, I guess their blood was up. I guess they just, you know, they just wanted to, uh, just get on with the job. And, and, and I'm not being funny. Lee Marvin, Oscar winner or not. He's, I don't know how, I think this was his last film role. And to be fair to him, you wouldn't be surprised to sort of see him in a Zimmer frame, kind of trotting around. He looks a bit old and like as the leader of a, a elite military force, actually going, he's not like he's sitting in a compound just mm. giving orders. He's got a gun and he's going around trying to shoot people. He's, he's way past it in this film. It's, it's completely implausible. I'm he, he really doesn't look too well. Um, in this Bless movie, him. I think he did appear in one film that came out after uh, the Delta Force, but oh, really? 
uh yeah he died pretty soon after this film came out and yeah he doesn't look uh, a well man he he doesn't uh look like he's got i guess it's probably to do with his health but he doesn't look too enthusiastic about this movie that could be down to his health <laughs> or it could be just down to the fact that he knows what the script looks like uh but we did get one uh, very interesting scene with uh, lee marvin at the beginning of the film where we first come across his character sitting in a bar and he you know he's about uh he's about 70 and he's uh making what is possibly the most half-hearted attempt to chat up a barmaid i've ever i've ever seen <laughs> i remember that yeah I, like she's like a really nice young barmaid and it's like oh god i can't be no no one's going to take this seriously who's watching this film but i'm gonna have to say these words anyway <laughs> Thank God the phone rings and he has to do something else. Because can you imagine him actually, you know, going going ahead with whatever he had planned in the script? <laughs> so uh, obviously, Delta Force is an action movie. Uh, what did you make of the action that we uh, get to see in this movie? Some some bits are quite good. I quite like some of the chase scenes. In uh, uh, there's a pretty good bit like the Italian Job where there's a, uh, a, a they're in like a van bouncing down steps and going through back alleys when they're being um, chased by the terrorists and they're getting shot at i quite like that it's going to look quite real it reminded me a little bit of the uh, french connection mm. uh the second one where they're in marseille going around the back alleys yeah. it's quite gritty quite real it looked quite good no, quite impressed with that yeah some good explosions in there and then they, they kind of i don't rambo i'm sure pre- it came out before this one the rambo 2 and then they go but they just go ridiculous things like chuck norris zip lining down a wire with an Uzi shooting people as he goes down. I mean, it's it's great. It's Did you cool. enjoy his uh, motorbike loaded yes. with uh, rockets? Rockets. <laughs> <laughs> and standard then, and issue. Standard, standard issue in the American issue. Army. Apparently, like, I think it was Suzuki. They actually made that bike specially for him. I, l- I looked this up. <laughs> they, they actually mocked these bikes up. Made real bikes that shoot. They're obviously not rockets, but could shoot something out. And uh, they gave them to the production company after. It was like a promotional thing. And obviously he had like rockets. Like there's a payoff bit at the end where I don't want to ruin it for anyone who hasn't seen this film, but there's kind of a scene at the end where uh, Chuck confronts Forster, the you know the the main henchman in like a shack and beats him beats him to a pole basically and he's he's waiting kind of leaves him in a car and then he goes off on his motorbike for no reason even though the guy's still alive and then he looks back and and he's got a gun pointed at him and he just presses a button and these rockets shoot out the back of the um, motorbike and blow the car up with uh, Forster inside it's completely ridiculous so, uh, you know, if I set up a search on uh, eBay for uh, one of these motorcycles, uh, would you be willing to throw in with me? See if we can uh, get hold of uh, one of these uh, unique machines. Well, apparently it went back to the it went back to Israel. It was used and uh, was kept by the studio, so it exists somewhere. Maybe someone like you know, maybe a massive Chuck Norris fan has already bought it on auction. You know, it might be quite expensive. Will the funds we get through exploding helicopter really are meager? That's why I'm still in prison. <laughs> Make that clear. Well, I might do I might do a bit of lazy googling later see if uh, I can find one that is for sale. But uh... I mean this whole the action here, I mean some bits were good, but a lot of it was it had a very strong A-team vibe. I don't know if you got that. <laughs> The bit like in the compound, it really kind of smacked of A Team a little bit. Although the one difference, cheap. the one difference with the A Team is that here people actually died and actually got hit by the machine gun fire. That which is, is true. Very different to the A Team. But did you notice? Out of we talked about the ineptitude of the Delta Force and how ridiculous they were, and yet bullets were firing off left, right, and centre. How many uh, Delta Force got shot? One. 
it's completely ludicrous and it kind of ties in with the chest beating american jingoism like the delta force they're so good bullets just ricochet off them and don't get shot this isn't a film for people who want to see the realities of war let's put it like that well i think no moment better illustrates that than the uh, the final frames of this movie which uh, show all of the passengers uh, being flown to safety along with the delta force and they're uh, all drinking budweiser's and singing the uh, american national anthem doesn't Fantastic. get more uh, doesn't get more stars and stripes than that Exactly. That's a great, great movie tie-in. I mean, you see Budweiser prominently sitting on someone's desk earlier in the film as well. Clever, these guys. This is one way to get your film uh, funded, is to get some of the big boys in play. I think being freed by terrorists is about the only occasion I would ever deign to drink a Budweiser. <laughs> generally, generally, I'd prefer a different, uh, you know, a European lager, yeah. Like, yeah, something, something, something more classy. Okay, I think it's time to uh, get this party started and talk about the exploding helicopter action. But before we do that... Hello, you lot. I'm Daryl. And I'm Ben. And we're Sudden Double D, the Triple Bill title podcast. Each fortnight, we watch three films linked by a word in the title. For example... Sudden Impact, Double Impact and Deep Impact. Or... Young Frankenstein, Young Guns and While We're Young. Or... Four Flies on Grey Velvet, Blue Velvet and Velvet Goldmine. You get the idea. If you're into finding links between weird triple bills, taking pot shots at terrible movies and listening to two film fanatics bicker, then we've the show for you. Search for Sudden Double Deep on iTunes, Stitcher and all good podcatchers and find us on Twitter at SDD Film Podcast. That's SDD Film Podcast. Uh, thank you very much. Sorry, it's me again. This, though, is the part of the show where we talk about cinema's greatest movie trope, the exploding helicopter. Now, steady yourself, because this is a stunning chopper fireball. It is, incredibly, the very first event of the film. It's true, Delta Force opens with a shot of a stationary helicopter in an empty, barren desert. For a few seconds, nothing happens. Then the helicopter suddenly explodes. No exposition, no explanation, no introduction. One minute it's there, the next it's gone blown to smithereens it's dramatic it's unexpected it's unbelievable dara what did you make of it well there's a mix of shock and laughter really when i saw it because as you say it just explodes it's the literally the first thing you see after the credits roll it's exploding helicopter which is obviously why we're all here and that's fantastic <laughs> but there's no missile there's no explanation there's like what why what's this happened why is this happening and you don't really get more of an explanation even as the film carries on you presume i suppose it's been downed by one of the terrorists in a fort in a, in a you know previous mission to the hijacking but you just don't know why and obviously one of the one of uh one of the joys of of the exploding helicopter is is seeing the method of destruction exactly and we and you we're know, robbed we, of that. We're robbed of that. And it's such a quick scene as well. It's almost blink and you miss it. It's literally the first... I can't stress this to viewers enough. <laughs> it is bananas. I, I've never seen or heard of a film. I mean, we know one of the cardinal rules of exploding helicopter filmmaking is you keep the exploding helicopter towards the end of the film mm. as a kind of the payoff. You know, you build up to it, you know, rank up the tension. You know, there's a preamble. There's the kind of, you know, jeopardy as it's flying around the sky. Will it crash? Will it not? And then it crashes. And then you see the aftermath you get none of that you get none of the aftermath you get none of the explanation and you just kind of see the wreckage in flames for a bit until it actually blows up which is a decent explosion probably a real explosion i'd say would you say will uh yeah i think so it looks um i think it might be a model though 
I don't Could think be. it's um I don't need, I don't think it's like a life size model. I think it's uh, some sort of reduced scale model. But uh you know, generally I think it's fair to say we like to see our sort of exploding helicopters incorporated into the uh, the film's finale. That feels to us as fans of the as as the genre where the chopper fireball should be and you know, as exciting as it is to see a film begin with an exploding helicopter uh, i perhaps think that exploding helicopters darara they're a bit like making love to a beautiful woman you need i to... knew this was coming you beat me to it <laughs> i was gonna say it's so much like your love life will you know one shot and it's all gone but yeah i mean you, you know, need to you, you need to you know you need to seduce a woman you need to romance a woman you know you don't just take her to a cheap motel on the first date and blow your wad within you know the first 30 seconds exactly how is that the basis of a relationship it just isn't yeah, I mean, I, I think we can place this film into perspective. It's, it's great that somebody has gone out there and decided to make the bold decision of, I'm going to start my film with an exploding helicopter. It's a hell of a statement of intent. But, you know, it's been done. I enjoyed seeing it for somebody being that bold and brave. But I think generally other filmmakers don't need to be uh, taking this uh, as a how-to guide. Exactly. It's like viewing a car crash when you're driving. You, there is a bizarre fascination, but you realise it's wrong and you shouldn't be doing it. <laughs> OK, I think it's just about uh, time to wrap up our discussion of the Delta Force. Dara, I'm prepared to release your family unharmed. So thanks for joining me once again. Ah, uh, Praise Allah. Allah is great. <laughs> Just a, a few things from me. Check out the uh, website, explodinghelicopter.com. Leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a retweet or shout out on Facebook. Help spread the word about what we do. We'll be back soon. But until then, keep watching the skies for those exploding helicopters. This podcast is a proud member of the Lamb Podcasting Network. Find the network at largeassmovieblogs.com. They're making a mistake. They're making a mistake. Mr. Rozovsky, you move or I shoot you right here. But I am not Jewish. I'm an American. I came from Russia, but now I live in America. I am Christian Orthodox. Ask them. Sister, tell him I am not a Jew. Father, father, don't you know me from Chicago? Move! Wait! Wait, this man is telling the truth. Sit down, we know what we are doing. Sir, you are making a big mistake. Sit down. Sit down. On the floor. Sit down. Sit down. Sit down. We know what we are doing. Father, where are you going? No. You! Come back! No. Come back! No. Come back! I said come back! No! No! no. no. Down! What are you doing here? You call. What is your name? William O'Malley. I did not call you. You call for all the Jews. I'm Jewish, just like Jesus Christ. You take one of us, you gotta take us all. <laughs> <laughs>